Well, I've been a follower of Jesus Christ for uh, about 47 and a half years. Got baptized in March of uh, 1974. And I have to tell you, um, I, I love being a follower of Jesus. And here's why. Because I find that the more I follow him, the closer I draw to him, um, he makes me want to be a better person, a better human being. He brings out the best in me, not the worst in me. Um, And he's interested more than my actions and even my words. He's interested in my thought life, He's interested in my heart. He wants my heart, and he wants your heart as well. And that's what I want to talk about today. Um, Sometimes when I I meet a person for the first time and they find out that I'm a Christian or that I'm a pastor, uh, one of the knee-jerk responses, and you probably get this too, they go, well, I'm not the religious type. You know, they say that. And I've never asked this question, but I want to start asking it. I want to start asking them, well, what do you mean when you say you're not the religious type? What is a religious type of person in your mind? But what I usually say is something like this. I say, well, I'm not religious either. And they're looking at me like, well, you just said that you're a Christian and a pastor. And I go, yeah, but there's a difference between being a Christian and just being a religious person. So Christopher Hitchens, who is a well-known atheist, he's deceased. Now, he wrote a book some years ago called God is Not Great, how Religion Poisons Everything. That was the title of his book. And uh, so he had no fondness for the idea of God or Christianity or religion in general. Um, And so what he's writing about is what the worst side of religion is. Uh, When it becomes about rule-keeping and it becomes about just uh, simple adherence to rules, to regulations, and that sort of thing. And it tends to bring out the worst in people. And we have seen that in the last 20, 25 years in our world, how religion can often bring out the worst in people. And so that was the way it was in Jesus' day as well. So what happened is a lot of the religious folks and who were Jewish leaders you know, in his day, they were often picking fights with Jesus. And so uh, Jesus wanted them to understand that it isn't just about being religious, like rule-keeping. There's something deeper that God wants you to do. He's not just interested in the externals, in the outside behaviors. He wants your heart. Um, And so Jesus was talking about holiness, the church of the Nazarene is known as a holiness church. We, we believe that we are to be holy as God is holy. And so the question is, for you and me, what does it mean for you and me to be God's holy people? Uh, what does it look like to be holy? How would you recognize someone who is holy? So... Let me just say this much, and if you didn't take anything else away from this message, and if you just walked away right now uh, and didn't listen to any more, it's really not so much about what you do on the outside, but it's about who you are on the inside. It's about your heart. So how about you? Are you religious? Or are you a Jesus follower? And there is a difference. So in an attempt to um, 
promote holy living, the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, um, they came up with a lot of rules for people to live by. Um, Too many rules, as we'll find out as we work our way through the Gospel of Mark. John Wesley, who started the Methodist church unintentionally, but he did. Uh, He lived in the 18th century, a great man of God, and uh, one of the heroes of my faith, really, to be honest. He said, really, we ought to keep it simple. He said he had three simple rules for Christians. You know what they are? Here they are. Do good, do no harm, and attend to all the ordinances of God. So do no harm to your neighbor, do good to your neighbor, and pay attention to the sacraments of God. So that would be the Lord's Supper, the baptism, it could be the, the reading and study of the Bible, public worship, and so on. He kept it simple. And he saw the danger of loading people down with a lot of rules and what that can do to us as a community. And so those who focus just on rules and on outward behaviors fall into the trap of legalism. And then it becomes nothing more than dead religion. It's like formalism that has a kind of a hard edge to it and it lacks compassion. It has more to do with keeping up appearances, rituals, customs, traditions, and so on than it does with the inner life of the Spirit of God in us. And it was that kind of legalism that Jesus was confronted with all the time. They were picking fights with him. And so these Pharisees, these scribes, these teachers of the law, they were always challenging Jesus, trying to catch him doing wrong. For instance, in Mark chapter 2, and you've heard messages on this, they came to Jesus and they say, Jesus, why do you associate with tax collectors and sinners? Why do you do that? And then in another part of Mark chapter 2, they say, Jesus, why don't your disciples fast like we do? And then another place in Mark chapter 2, they accuse Jesus of breaking the Sabbath day, of not adhering to the seventh day, because he would heal people and do good on the Sabbath day. And so then we get to Mark chapter 7, and now they pick another fight with him. And that's what we're going to read about right now. Let me just read this, and I'm going to skip through fairly quickly in this passage, and then just come back to it. This is Mark chapter 7, beginning about verse 1. It says, The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating with hands that were defiled. That that means unwashed hands. And then there's a little parenthetical statement in verse 3. The Pharisees and the Jews didn't eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. And then down to verse 5. It says, so the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders? Instead of eating their food with defiled hands. He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, and he quotes from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 29, Old Testament. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. He says, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on 
to human traditions. And he continued, verse 9, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. And then he gives an illustration of that, which I'll come back to a little bit later in the message. And so in verse 14, it says, Jesus called the crowd to him and he said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. I believe he's saying that to us today. He's saying, listen to me and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. And then he told them the true meaning of that parable. So the entire narrative here that I was just reading to you centers on the idea of what it means to be holy, of what it means to be set apart for God, of what it means to be clean and pure in the sight of God. And you see these words like defiled, unwashed, clean, and so on throughout this passage. And it's kind of interesting. Uh, So COVID-19, the lockdown uh, occurred here in March of 2020. um, And it changed our perception of disease (laughs) and kind of how it's transmitted. And it changed our perception of public etiquette. And so you you see this image here. We we saw things like this all over the place, like in restaurants and and bathrooms and that sort of thing. And, And Suddenly now, you know, people would frown on people who would enter a public place without wearing a mask, or if they didn't adhere to the physical distancing rules, they would frown on people who would refuse to get a vaccine and that sort of thing. Um, And so that was for a practical purpose. But this hand washing and all this stuff that they were accusing Jesus of not doing, that wasn't about that at all. It was simply ritual. It was ceremonial. And so this is Mark chapter 7, verse 5. I'm going to come back to this now. It says, so the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? Now, defiled hands, again, was only a ritual thing. It wasn't this. Like, look at this image. This is really gross. Um, At least I think it is. Uh, Okay. That has, there's a reason there why we should be worried. The ritual of hand washing that was so common in Jesus' day was not commanded by God in the Bible. Yes, the Bible does say things like this, like Psalm 24. It says, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. When it says the one who can come into the presence of God has to have clean hands and a pure heart, clean hands is a metaphor. It's just simply saying that we need to be worshipers of God only and not bow down to idols and not practice injustice in the land. So physical hand washing, these rituals were not commanded by God in the Bible, but the tradition of hand washing, the tradition of the elders, actually was invested with an authority that was equal to the Bible back then, to the Old Testament. And we have to be careful of this as well. Um, We have, in our church, the Church of the Nazarene, we have a manual. How many of you here have ever read 
a portion of the Church of the Nazarene manual. How many here? How many of you have memorized portions of it? <laughs> okay, you don't need to. Um, but it's interesting about this. I, I have a great respect for what the manual of the Church of the Nazarene provides for us, but we have to remember, it is a human document. It is a human document. It is not the Bible. And we should never forget that distinction. And we have to be careful when we make rules for people that it doesn't turn into legalism. And so the, the teachers of the law um, before Jesus was born and, and, and in his day, they were concerned to make sure that people didn't do anything that would uh, offend the law of God. And so they wanted to put safeguards in place. They wanted to put guardrails around the law so nobody could sort of transgress it and step over it. And they became very critical of people who didn't act the way that they thought they should act according to the tradition of the elders. And so and then in verse 6 it says this. this. These are the words of Jesus. He says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. Now stop here. Did Isaiah hundreds of years earlier talk about these particular people in Jesus' day? Actually, when Isaiah said... And this is found in Isaiah chapter 9. He was speaking about the people of Israel in his days, hundreds of years before Jesus was born. And he said of them, These people, you people, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Your worship of me is vain, and your teaching is merely human rules. That was said hundreds of years before Jesus, and now he's applying it to the people in his day. That's what you call a prophetic word that is timeless. It speaks today to you. And to I. Then I have to say, Lord, am I like the people of Israel, ancient Israel? Do I honor you only with my lips, but my heart is far from you? Um, is my worship empty and vain? Do I only observe human rules and I neglect your word? Jesus jars them, I think, when he calls them hypocrites. He says, you hypocrites. And the way that you can tell a hypocrite, here's, here's just a really good way to identify a hypocrite in the church, is they're more interested in pointing out your sins than acknowledging their own. That's what they do. And that's what was happening in Jesus' day. And then he says to them in verse 8, he says, you have let go of the commands of God, and you are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, he says, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. He's saying the commands of God, the word of God is there before you, and what you have done is you've neglected the word of God, and you've put your own traditions and your own rules in place, And that's why he calls them hypocrites. And that's when he gets to the example that we see in verses 10 through 12. And I'm just going to read this for you. And this is something that the first time I read it, I didn't know what he was talking about. So I'll just give a brief explanation. He says in verse 10, For Moses said, Honor your father and mother. Where is that found in the Bible? Anybody know? Yeah. Okay, it's, yeah, Exodus 20, it's also Deuteronomy 5, and it's part of the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother. 
Verse 9, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father and mother is korban, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father and mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like this. And what he is saying here is this this tradition of korban was where somebody could take their possessions, their Uh, their home, their property, whatever, their money, and they could say, in a very spiritual, religious way, they could say, I am devoting this to the temple. I am giving this to God. It is now sacred. And guess what? They did that, and now when their parents, maybe in their old age, needed help, they had nothing left to give them. Because they said, sorry, Mom and Dad, I gave it to the church. Too bad, so sad. And part of what it means to honor your father and mother isn't just that we respect them and when we're children that we obey them, but it's that we help them in their old age the way they did when we were little. We pay it forward. And what happened is one of their traditions got in the way of that. I don't think they, I don't really think they did that on purpose. But it happened, and nothing was being done about it. And so a lot of our traditions, a lot of our customs that we, you know, observe in our churches, um, they're started with the best of intentions. You know, often that's what happens. But over time, we lose sight of what it was about in the first place. And sometimes it just becomes about religious formalism. So uh, I've been to a lot of weddings, and I've done a lot of weddings. And I want to tell you, there's one question I never ask when I'm performing a wedding ceremony. Anybody know what that is? Anybody know what that is? It's this one here. You'll see this here, this little cartoon. If there is anyone with reason why these two should not be joined, speak now or forever hold your peace. And then there's a pregnant pause. People sit uncomfortably waiting for someone to rise and say, I object. I never asked that question. There was a time when that custom of doing that was necessary because somebody might have been married to somebody else. Or there might have been some good reason why these people could not be lawfully married. In our day, all you need to do, and this is what you have to do now, is you go to a a local registry and you register and they will do a search. Pastor Blaine is sitting here. You know all about that. And they will, that will tell you whether or not that these two people can be joined together. You don't have to ask the question. I've still gone to the odd wedding where somebody does that. And I'm like, why? It's just tradition. And it was once useful, but no longer. Um, at the end of the day, what God is concerned about is our hearts. Right here. And what he's concerned about is how we treat each other from the heart. Sometimes rules get in the way of compassion. Um, How many of you have ever been frustrated by government bureaucracy? Anybody here ever got? You you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And it may not even just be the government. It's just some business or something, and they got rules in place. And, and, uh, you know, you're kind of arguing with them over the phone, and then somebody, some clerk or somebody says, you know, 
I'm sorry, rules are rules. You know, too bad, so sad. And I feel sorry for the person who's got to say that, unless they enjoy saying that to people. But the problem is, sometimes our rules really get in the way of compassion, of love. And so these traditions of the elders, many of these traditions in Jesus' day, like Corban, they didn't just miss the mark and miss the point. They actually were downright offensive to God. They made God mad. And they made Jesus mad. Um, I've memorized several passages in the Bible, and one of them that I'm working on is Amos chapter 5. Beginning at verse 21, God is looking at his own people, the people of Israel, and there's corruption. There's idol worship. There's injustice in the land. People are taking bribes, and all this stuff is going on, and, and yet they're still going to church. They're still doing all the religious stuff. They're honoring God with their lips. They take oaths in the name of God and they break them. That's using his name in vain. And this is what the Lord says to the prophet Amos. This is not going to come up on the screen. He says, this is God's voice. I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies, your gatherings are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never-failing stream. Justice and righteousness God loves. And so Jesus condemns these teachers of the law, the Pharisees, for the hypocrisy. And he says this in verse 13. He says, thus you nullify the word of God. This law, this tradition of Korban. He says, you've nullified the word of God by that tradition that you've handed down. And notice what he says at the end of verse 13. And you do many things like that. Look at that. You do many. He wasn't just talking about Korban, that particular tradition. And he wasn't just talking about hand-washing or the washing of pots and pans and utensils that they did as a ritual. He was talking about more than that. Now, I believe that a lot of the Pharisees were good people. A lot of these scribes were good. They weren't all bad guys. There's always some, though, that are in attack mode. Um, I believe that They were sincere. The Apostle Paul, his name was Saul of Tarsus. He hated the name of Jesus. He hated the Christian church. He did everything he could to destroy it. He was a Pharisee. He was legalistic. He was a rule keeper. He was one of the bad guys. He was spiritually blind, just like these I wonder, when Jesus was saying, you hypocrites, I wonder if Paul, the apostle, was in the crowd and maybe heard that. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But I'll tell you this. One thing we know about Paul before he became a Christian, he was sincere. But he was sincerely misguided. 
It doesn't matter how sincere you are. You can be sincerely wrong. And the point is, God wants not our religion and our traditions. He wants our hearts. Verse 14, again, Jesus called the crowd to him. And he says, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Now, when Jesus says, listen up, we need to listen up. Jesus is now, as the Son of God, so Mark is all about, who is this man, Jesus? Who is this man who can heal the sick, who can deliver people from demons, who can speak with such authority? Who is this man? And now he's asserting his authority as the Son of God, as the Son of Man. And in verse 15, he says, Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it's what comes out of a person that defiles them. The Message Bible puts it really, really crudely. Eugene Peterson, he said, It's not what you eat, it's what you vomit up that pollutes you. And then in verses 17 and 19, Jesus explains to his disciples, and he starts with saying, are you so dull? What he's saying is, don't you yet get it? He spent a lot of time with them in private, and there were a lot of things they just couldn't understand because these things were hidden from them. And the reason they're hidden is there are a lot of things in the Bible, there are a lot of uh, things that God wants to uh, show you that can only be revealed by the Holy Spirit. The Bible is not enough without the aid of the Holy Spirit who illuminates it to our understanding. And so they would search the Scriptures. Jesus said to the teachers of the law, you search the Scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. These, this Bible doesn't give you eternal life. He said, it is these scriptures that testify of me, but you refuse to come to me that you might have life. The scriptures don't give you life, eternal life, but they point to the one, Jesus, who can give you life. But they were missing it. And so these things, the deep things of the Spirit, were hidden from the wise and the learned, people who thought they knew it all. And so Jesus gives that common sense reply that we see in verses 18 and 19. He said, nothing that enters a person from the outside defiles them. Because he said, it doesn't go into their heart, into their inner person, but into their stomach and then out of the body. So Jewish tradition held that some foods were ritually clean and unclean. How many, who can just tell me a food that for the Jews was not kosher. What's a food that's not kosher for Jews? Just give me one word. Pork. Oh yeah, did somebody say seafood? Anyway, there's, you know, shellfish, whatever. And so they said, that's not kosher. And there's stuff in the Old Testament that said God's people, the Jewish people, were supposed to abstain, abstain from certain things. And what had happened is there was, a, there was often a lot of pragmatic reasons for why we have the, the Levitical Code. Uh, if you read Leviticus in the Old Testament, and I, I challenge you to do that sometime, uh, it is actually quite interesting um, to read what God asked of his people back then. But what happened is over the centuries, they developed this code, this oral tradition it was called, where they added to the Bible. And they had all these rules that had to do with uh, birth, death, 
sex, gender, health, economics, jurisprudence, social relations, hygiene, marriage, contact with unclean people, purity rituals about childbirth, menstrual cycle, regulations for skin infections, uh, contaminated furniture and clothing, Um, if you had contact with a human corpse or a dead animal, what to do about it, bodily discharges, agricultural guidelines, and all that kind of stuff was there. But there was a reason for that. Just like we had COVID-19 protocols, they really wanted to protect people. There were reasons for it. But by Jesus' day, a lot of these traditions had just become ritualistic and nothing more. And so Jesus says to these people, don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? It's not about that. And so I'm just going to jump to the end. And I want us to go into a place of prayer. Jesus says... It's not about food. If you don't want to eat pork or seafood, that's fine. Just don't make it a religion and don't judge others. Not about that. The way that you dress when you go to church, the music we worship to, the decor of our sanctuary, whether we have soft seats or hard pews, our lighting and other aspects of our church ambiance, our liturgy, the role of women in the church, all these things, we make such a big deal about these things, but Jesus at the end of the day is saying, you know what, we make these things so important, but God wants your heart. If there's certain things that are meaningful to you, and I know some people that say, I love to go to a traditional church, where they, they follow the lectionary and there's a certain liturgy. I go, that's great. Good for you. That's great. But do make allowance that not everybody, that doesn't float their boat necessarily. We're all different. So Jesus says in the last few verses, 20 to 23, it's what comes out of a person that defiles them. Look at verses 21 and 23. For it is from within, from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come, and he spells them out. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside, and they defile a person. Have you ever had anybody yell at you, cuss at you, and curse you and say really awful and mean things to you. And then later they come to apologize and they say, you know, I am so sorry. I, I, I just don't know where that came from. Oh, yeah, you do. It came from your heart. Jesus said in Matthew twelve thirty four, the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. It reveals who you are and what you think about. That's why in Proverbs 4.23, it says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for it determines the course of your life. Your heart is your inner self. It's the part of you that worships God or forgets to. It's your spirit. It's who you are. It's who you are. 
God wants your heart. Who you are in the inside is more important than what you do on the outside. Let's pray. As we close the service in prayer, Jesus at the end, verses 21 to 23, he lists these 12 or 13 evil thoughts. The things that come from the heart that he says, these are the things that defile us. He's saying it's not, God is not impressed so much by what you do, how you dress, how you worship, what you eat. Those are lesser concerns. He's not concerned about keeping up appearances. He's concerned about your heart, who you are on the inside. Think about those evil thoughts. He says sexual immorality, adultery. Jesus said, if you look at another person with lust, you've committed adultery. He talks about theft, stealing what is not ours. Murder, where Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, murder is to be angry with a person, angry enough to want to kill them. What's in your heart? He talks about malice, malicious intent against another person. What's in your heart? Being deceitful, being envious of others, slandering others' good reputation, arrogance, arrogance defiles us, and folly. So as we close in prayer, I just want to give you an opportunity to bring yourself before the Lord. He wants you to be holy on the inside. And if your heart is set apart for God, and if your heart is clean, if your heart is pure before God, then so will your words and your deeds. for the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. To be holy is to live a life that transcends the ways of this world, to not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Would you say, God, help me to do that? I don't want to conform to the ways of this world. I don't want to stoop to the bad behavior of others. Teach me, Lord, that when I am cursed, I will bless in return. That when I'm persecuted, I will endure it. That when I am slandered, I will answer kindly. Help me, Lord, to turn the other cheek, to be like Jesus in this world. Lord, I want to be holy, set apart for you. And that means I want to be a person of love, of compassion. Forgive me, Lord, when I put rules and traditions and customs in the way and nullified your commands. So Lord, here and now I give you my heart. May my heart be devoted to you without reservation. Make my heart pure, Lord. Sanctify me and make me holy in your presence.
in Jesus' name. Amen. For the Lord bless you and keep you. Let the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace.